Good morning. Let's see, I'm on back here. I'm here. Can you guys hear me through the sound system? Oh, I'm a little quieter than normal. Okay, well, great. I'll just that means I can get louder. No, that's all right. Well, feel free to uh, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at a proverb this morning. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen. I'll just give you a moment to turn there. Well, it is the new year, and the typical greeting that we'll say at this time is, Happy New Year. Oh, sorry, and actually I, went, I, I uh, got a little dyslexic there. 2918 is where we want to be. 2918. I wrote it down wrong in my notes. That's funny. All right, 2918, in case you weren't listening first time. So let's look at Proverbs 2918. Well, the, the typical greeting around this time of year is Happy New Year. And that's what I want us to consider this morning. Uh, starting next week, we will start our series through the book of Acts, looking at the gift of the Holy Spirit and what he, is, what he does and how he helps us to see churches be planted and started all over the world. And so that's what we'll start next week. But for this week, we want to take a look at what it looks like to have a happy or a blessed New Year. What needs to happen in 2023 for you to have a happy New Year? Now, I don't know what the year will hold for you. This is not a sermon on how to make your circumstances work out well. I have no idea what lies ahead of you, and I can guarantee if this year has been like any other year in my life ever, there will be good things and there will be bad things that happen within the next 12 months. But I believe through God's word, you can be happy. You can be happy in good times and in bad. And I think there are three things that we see from this particular proverb that are necessary for that to be true. Necessary for you to be happy and blessed in the Lord. And that's what we want to do this morning. So let's take a look at Proverbs 29, or 18. Man, now I'm like subconscious. 29, 18, that is the right proverb. Let's take a look at it together. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed or happy is he who keeps the law. So the first thing that I want us to see that is necessary for you to be happy this year is you need the word of God. God's word is necessary for your happiness. As we take a look at this passage, and Proverbs are really tricky things to translate, we see that even in a myriad of really good translations of the Bible, we get really different sounding things. The NIV, and you can just listen, it won't be up on the screen, but you can just listen to the variations that we have in some of these good translations. And all of these that I'm going to read, I would suggest and commend to anyone. The NIV says this, where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. The CSB, or the Christian Standard Bible, says without revelation, people run wild. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. I think that's actually my favorite. I, and we'll get to that here in a second. The NASB says, Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is one who keeps the law. And the KJV, the classic, says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. 
And so you can see there's a lot of variation. Do we translate it blessed or happy? Do we translate things as running wild or casting off restraint? Is it prophetic vision, vision, or revelation? Is it the law or is it wisdom's instruction or divine instruction? And we'll get into that in here just a moment of why I kind of like that CSB translation. I think they actually do really well. But here is the reality that is happening all throughout this is no matter where you land and how you figure this out is you're going to land this. Is that what the proverb is teaching is God's word is necessary for that blessing that it's talking about, for that happiness. Because here is the reality. That word, those words there, the translated prophetic vision in our ESV translation that we're looking at this morning, or law, prophetic vision is the word that was typically used to refer to the messages that Old Testament prophets would get directly from God. They would receive prophecies. Now, I think a lot of times in our culture, we immediately think prophecy means future telling. And that's not how the Bible typically uses that word. Though there are times that prophets do receive future divine revelation. We can think of that. We just celebrated that at Christmas. There's so many Old Testament prophecies that did talk about a future Messiah that would have some kind of future fulfillment. But what a prophet really did was just relay a direct message from God to God's people. So sometimes that might have something to do with the future. Sometimes it would be really, really relevant to them. Right? Repent. Or else God's going to send in the Babylonians to wipe you out. There would be these prophecies that would come to them. You can think of even individual prophets like Nathan who would go before David and say, David, you are the man who has taken that sheep as he called out King David in his specific sin. A prophet simply was somebody who declared a direct message from God to the people of God. This is also a huge section of the Old Testament, the prophets. Then you have the word translated here, the ESV, as law, and the Hebrew word is Torah, which if you have been around the block more than once, you you maybe know that that's what you call the first five books of the Bible, are the Torah. And they mean law, but can also mean really literally and woodenly instruction. And so you have these translations that just translate that word in a literal way. And so you can look at either in the proverb you have this poetic way of connecting the prophets and the direct message from God that they had and the Torah, which they knew was a direct message from God to Moses, to the people, and it is bringing together all of the Old Testament and the Proverbs writer is telling us to be blessed, to be happy, you need the full counsel of God's word from prophet to law. Or it's saying in really literal ways, what you need is God's divine revelation in your life. What you need is the law and instruction of God to be happy. Now, either way you slice it, the bottom line is the bottom line. You need the word of God to be blessed and to be happy. Because without it, the proverb tells us, without revelation from God, the people, as our CSB translation said, run wild. Or as what you look at in today, in, the, in our copy of God's Word that we're using, in the ESV, they cast off restraint. 
that we can think of that if we don't have any divine revelation, if we don't have something outside of us instructing us on how to live, what the Bible teaches is that you will inevitably do whatever you want to do, and if you do the things that you want to do, you will run wild. You will cast off restraint. The Bible doesn't really think very highly of people all on their own. People, apart from the divine revelation of God, are not inherently good. And so the assumption of the Bible isn't, well, if God just kind of takes a step back, doesn't intervene in our lives, maybe things will work out. Because aren't people kind of good and they do the right thing? The Bible says absolutely not. They will cast off restraint. They'll do whatever they want to do. And they'll run wild. See, if we don't have something outside of us, forming us of how we ought to live, the Bible teaches that you are a sinner and you're born in sin. The natural disposition of your heart is to do the things that are wrong, not to do what is right and good. Without something outside of you, the divine revelation of the one true living God, the, bi- the, the God that the Bible talks about, instructing you of how to live, you will be unrestrained. You will go your own way. And in going your own way, you will run wild. What Proverbs is clear about, and what the Bible is clear about, is when we do our own thing rather than God's thing, we will not be very happy. It will lead us to ruin and difficulty. That's a theme that we see all throughout the Old Testament. You can see it with Moses as he is proclaiming that in the book of Deuteronomy to the people before they enter the promised land. He is begging them, don't forget the law. Don't forget the word of God. You'll stray away from God if you do. You see that with young kings like King Josiah who becomes a a king when he's just a kid, but then later he follows God faithfully and they find the word of God and they proclaim it to the people and the people repent of their sins and God relents his judgment on them. Or even later when they come back from exile, the, the, the priest Ezra preaches the, preaches the Old Testament to the people and their hearts are, are broken and they are no longer unrestrained, but they change. If you want a book of the Bible that I think makes this most clear, that we need something outside of us and we cannot go our own way, it's the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, you have these various judges that God gives to the people. But a theme throughout the book is that when judges leave, people go their own way. They don't stick to the word of God. They do what they want to do. Judges 2, 18 through 19, explains this at the beginning of the book. And it says this, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, and these judges were people used to give them God's word and guide the people, The Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who had afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any other practices or their stubborn ways. And that's the pattern that the rest of the book follows, is people kind of do bad things, a judge comes, kind of sets them right, but then the next group of people do even worse things. So much so that the book starts, and kind of the big issue in the book of Judges at the beginning, in chapter 3, if you think of Ehud, he's the one, if you're, if you're familiar with the Bible, and if you're not, you'll want to go read the story later, because he stabs an overweight king, and the king's fat, goes the sword, and it's like a really fun story, and he like 
runs away through what's probably a toilet. It's, it's, a great, it's a great thing. So there you go. If you need some encouragement to go read the Bible, go read Judges 3. It's a great story. But like Ehud's big problem is he's left-handed. That's like his like, uh, significance of uncleanliness in a culture where you don't have things like toilet paper and so you use your left hand to do stuff that you wouldn't want to then eat with later. So he, that's his like issue. That's his issue. He's this left-handed judge, right? And that's like, oh... And everybody here is like, that's not a big deal. Like, that's the point. In Judges 3, like, it's just not, like, that's the issue. He's left-handed. By Judges 20 and 21, a Levite, who's supposed to be a priest, who's supposed to be a godly man, has a concubine. Eh, that's bad. Like, right off the bat, not good. Right, now we're starting to get some stuff that's like, oh, that's not good. And it gets worse. He's traveling, and in his travels, he stops in this town, and the people are so sinful. They want to take advantage of him. He then gives them his concubine instead, and they treat her so horribly that she ends up dying. His response to the death of this woman in a culture that would have cared deeply for the dignity of human bodies is he takes her body and he cuts it up, sends it throughout Israel. Israel's response to be righteous to that is to rally together and they almost genocide an entire tribe of Israel. There is no situation of that story where anybody does anything that's right. It goes from a guy who's left-handed to as people are corrupt and the judge leaves and they leave the word of God, they are running wild. That's what it looks like to cast off restraint. Is a society and a people get to the point where they think it's right and okay to allow a woman to be treated so terribly. Somebody that God would want to protect and care for, they let her take on the brunt of it all. And the book of Judges ends with this one verse. And this is the very, very end of the book. Judges 21, 25. It says, In those days, there was no king in Israel, no one leading the people, no one pointing them to the word of God. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The next book of the Bible is for Samuel. And in 1 Samuel 3, 1, it tells us, In those days, there was rarely a prophecy or a word from the Lord. God's word was seldom heard. And it was the kind of place where people who were supposed to be godly were very, very corrupt. It was a sad and a dangerous place to live for anybody. The people cast off restraint. They no longer had the prophetic vision or the revelation of God. So they did the things they wanted to do. And it created a world that was a very unpleasant place to live. So, yes, if you want a happy new year, we need to see that we need the Word of God to guide us. We need something that is outside of us. But before we can obey the Word, we must know the Word. So, yes, we do need the Word of God, but we also know that knowing doesn't mean that we're obeying. And God's Word isn't just some kind of intellectual exercise. It is something that we must also obey. So if you long to be happy in 2023, I want to say this, is we must obey the Word of God. Obedience is the second thing that is necessary. If we look back at our proverb, it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed or happy is he who keeps the law. 
It doesn't say blessed or happy is he who reads it. Blessed or happy is he who memorizes it, who thinks about it, who studies it, who reads lots of commentaries on it. No, the happy man is the one who keeps or obeys wisdom's instruction or the law of God. That's what we must do. If you want to walk in God's ways, you must obey his words. Now here's the reality of the world that we do live in. Is the world, the devil, and the flesh, the three trying things against us, they whisper a lie to you and to me. And they will whisper this lie all year long to you, and that is this. Sin or disobedience will make you happy. If you sin, if you do the things that are wrong, that will make you happier. So that's what happens when we sin. There's a part of us, at least functionally, that believes somehow by doing this thing that will displease God, I will please myself. And I want you to know that that is a lie. Sin never makes us happy. If you look at the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, it talks about uh, the desires of the flesh, the works of the flesh. Just so nobody knows I'm not picking on them, I'll use these as an example. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And that's where we'll stop for my illustration here. Because see what happens in this list that Paul is saying, these are the works of the flesh. This is what people who don't follow and obey God's word, these are the kinds of things they do. These things are promises of pleasure, whether that be sexual immorality or drunkenness, or even the word there for sorcery comes from the Greek word pharmakeia, which is like pharmacy, which is another way to say drugs. I know, it's crazy. You know how you convince people that you're magic? Make it so they see stuff. And that's what happens. And that was what was happening at that time. And so you might feel the lie in some way that some kind of sensual pleasure will make you happy. That's where true happiness will be found. It won't be found in God or the things of God. True happiness will be found in this thing that brings me fleshly pleasure. Or what about things like revenge? Strife, enmity, fits of anger, dissensions, divisions. You know, they deserve it. In fact, I'm helping them out by telling them off. At least I'm brave enough to tell them what, they, what I think. That false belief that somehow your fit of anger and rage is going to produce any kind of righteous action, even though God's word tells us that the anger of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. We believe the lie that somehow losing our temper, causing division and dissensions, somehow that will make things better. That we take things and matters into our own hands. We don't no longer trust God who tells us, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Bless those who persecute you. We say, no, 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 no. Justice, now, my way. And that's the lie of the world. We cast off restraint and become angry. We have false senses of fairness. Why do they deserve X, Y, Z? Why is their life so much easier than mine? Why do they get to have that kind of job or they get to do that kind of thing? And so we become envious. Envious. 
and jealous. It divides us even further. In the world, the devil and the flesh whisper those lies into your ear and say, yes, that's what will make you happy. Go get them. Think about it more. Dwell on that even more. Win that argument by yourself in the shower or wherever you are. Keep going. That's what will make us happy. We have to know that that's why that those things will never make us happy. The Apostle Peter writes to uh, a group of Christians, and he writes the book Second Peter, <clears throat> and he is warning them of false teachers and the kinds of things that these false teachers were doing to bring people away from the faith. But I want you to listen to the tactic of those false teachers. Chapter 2, verse 18, the book of Second Peter says this, For speaking loud boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. And then listen to this. This would do us well for all of us to memorize this verse for this year. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. That's what the world does. It is the promise of a false freedom. Somehow sin is going to set you free. That will make you happy. That will give you joy. And it's a lie. Sin will not set you free. It will enslave you every single time. Whatever overcomes a man, that is what he is enslaved to. He continues in his warning, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Because sin never lays dormant. Sin doesn't just stay where you want it. You, want to, you think you can keep it and control it. My sin won't grow or get worse. That isn't true. It will always get worse and worse. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. He's simply saying dogs do what dogs do and sow do what sows do, or pigs do the things that they do. And he's calling to these Christians, and early in the letter he has told them, you are partakers of the divine nature. What he's trying to say is, you're not a dog, you're not a pig. You're a child of God, so live like one. We do that which most represents us and who we are. Are we people who are works of the flesh, or are we people, if we go back to the book of Galatians chapter 5, who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And it says this in Galatians 5, 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I want to convince you that this is the way to live. The way to live is by the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh. And my proof from that is just listen to the list. What life sounds better? A life filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? Or one filled with immorality, idolatry, enmity, fits of anger, jealousy, divisions, dissensions, drunkenness, 
What life do you want to live? In 2023, do you want your life to be happy? I think we all want to be happy. So how do we do that? How do I not fall for the false teachers of this world that promise freedom but will only enslave me? How can I avoid this? Well, I want to give you two tips. Fight early and fight often. Fight early and fight often. Here's what I mean. I don't know what will happen in your ear in your year. I am no prophet, nor do I claim to be. But I know this. You will do battle with sin this year. I promise you this. Everyone in this room will fight sin. And I know in my life, when I look at my failures and when I fail, the reality is, is I start fighting too late and I'm not fighting often enough. I get lulled to sleep. And in my life, in my walk with Jesus, I step into the ring with sin, lazy and sloppy, unprepared. I don't do the hard work of getting my footwork right. I am not throwing those combinations that I need to be throwing. And so I step into the ring and I get laid flat. And that's what I want to encourage you as the new year starts and it's time to start over and to take advantage of that and to fight early and fight often. Don't wait to the moment of temptation to start saying, oh, now I'm going to start fighting against this thing. Fight earlier. If you can avoid tempting moments, avoid them. If there's those people in your life who are like, every time I'm with them, we just do X, Y, Z, like, you got to stop hanging out with them. You're going to have to choose. Are you going to fight early? Will you fight often? That's why spiritual disciplines matter. This isn't about legalism. This is about your pastor saying to you, I want you to be extraordinarily happy. My desire for you in this life is that you are an incredibly happy person. But there is only one way to be truly happy. And that is to glorify Christ and glorify God and live a life that is pleasing to him. That's the path to happiness. Now there's one last thing necessary for you to have a happy new year. And it is this. It is believing in your soul that Christ is all that you need in order to be happy. Christ is all that is necessary to be happy. That's our final thing. I want you to beware of a Jesus plus theology. I think that's an easy thing in our culture. What I mean by that is because we say, man, Jesus is great. I love Jesus. I love coming to church reading the Bible. But you know, money's pretty great too. A better job would be pretty great too. A better house, spouse that was more understanding, maybe even a different one. Sounds bad, but why do you think divorce happens? God wants us to be happy. He does, but that won't get you there. Maybe if my kids would just behave better, I would be a little more happy. 
you can be happy in Jesus no matter your circumstances. We are people who can rejoice even in our suffering. That is a beautiful and awesome thing. Jesus is all we need to be happy. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, we read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And then if we skip down a couple more verses to verse 14, it tells us this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is Jesus. The Word is Jesus Christ. As we look at our proverb for the morning, and we see that it's teaching about the whole counsel of God from prophets to the law, we have to see what does the Bible point us to? You are not just given a strategy for happiness. I hope you don't hear today's sermon as some kind of three-point way so that I can be more happy. I'm not trying to point you to this. I don't even want to point you to a list of do's and don'ts. That wasn't the point of going to the book of Galatians. What you need to see is that God's word points us to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. That's the point. If what the people need to not be unrestrained, if they need to be blessed and happy, is the law of God and God's divine revelation, what we have to see is the most clear revelation of God himself was when God took on flesh and came to dwell among us. God's clear revelation is the person and work of Jesus Christ. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. That's who God is. And as you draw near to him and draw close to him, what he says is he's going to give you a life that is abundant. That doesn't mean that your circumstances change at all. What it means is that your soul learns how to rejoice in everything. You learn to be content in all situations. You learn to rejoice even in the midst of suffering. Romans 5, when it tells you that, it's because you're justified by faith. Since therefore we have been justified by faith, we of all people can rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that these things eventually produce hope. That's the point. The point isn't point to point you to a strategy. This passage of scripture is often so misquoted. It's used to bully pastors like me, saying you have to have a really good vision for your church if they want to know where you're going, and that needs to rhyme, or have three easy things to say, or whatever. No, it isn't. That's not what your church needs. What your church needs is the Word of God. That's the vision God has given me and you, because the Word of God points to the person of God. To Jesus himself, Jesus Christ, who came, dwelt among us, wrapped himself in flesh, humbled himself by being born in the likeness of men, but then humbled himself also to the point of obedience in death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who lived and walked among us, who cared for the sick and the hurting, who showed us what it really means to be human, and then died for your sins and mine, absorbed the wrath of God and atoned for our sin, rose victorious from the grave three days later, so if you put your faith and your trust in him, you can have forgiveness of sins. If that doesn't make you happy, nothing will. 
that's where happiness is found, is you are forgiven and free forever, declared forever a son and daughter of a God most high. Your worth is no longer in what you do or what you own. It's found that you are in the image of Christ, wrapped up in him, and God looks on you and doesn't see your own filth and nasty works, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's the promise. That's what the word of God points you to. I am absolutely thrilled that so many people have shown interest in doing our Bible reading plan this year. We're trying to do that together. If you haven't jumped on the train, it's not too late. It's January 1st. They're all on the back table there. We printed off lots and lots of copies, so feel free to take one. There's also digital ways to get that as well. We haven't created the group chat yet. If you want in on that, just tell me. I'll get you hooked up. We'll do that hopefully later today as I drive to Illinois. And I'm, th- I'm thrilled that we're doing that. But I have to tell you, I don't care if you finish the plan. I know that might sound like I'm putting the bar pretty low, but that's really not the point. That's not the point of the Bible. We don't open the Bible to check a box. There's literally nothing but a bunch of check boxes on the thing. <laughs> and there are some of you who are, like, are going to be giddy when you pick up that piece of paper because you're checkbox kind of people. Right? And you're like, I can do this. And that's okay. I'm kind of one of those people. People like me, we've got to be careful that we don't make the Bible reading all about checking the box. Feeling like, oh, that, that's what did it. No, 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 no. You read that Bible. You're there to get to know a person. And maybe you're on the other side of that. You see check boxes and you're just like, oh, no. Another thing for me to get behind on. And here's what I want to say. Read the New Testament passages. <laughs> Read the Psalms. Life is busy. I haven't made it through the whole Bible the last two years. We added two kids in one year, and then we didn't sleep forever. I spent, like, months in Isaiah 40 and just didn't leave. That's okay, and it's good. It doesn't matter if you finish. What matters is do you get to know the person of Jesus Christ? You find yourself, and it's March, and you're like, oh, man, I missed February. You know what you do? Just catch up to March. It's fine. No one's going to care. You'll get it later. Skip ahead. Get back in. Jump back on the horse. It'll be okay. Because it's not about finishing a plan. It's about getting to know a person. The person of Jesus Christ. It's not about learning a strategy of how to live better. It's about the fact that God walks with you in your trouble. And in your trouble, you will get to know him more in a way that you've never gotten to know him before. He will meet you through his word. And by the end of the year, my hope isn't so much how far you got in the Bible, though I am excited and I celebrated today with Mark because he finished it this year and we high-fived and I was pumped for him. I am glad that that happens. But I am more glad that when I sit down and I chat with him, he tells me, man, I've learned so much. My hope is that this time next year, it's not about how far you got in the plan. It's, I love Jesus more today than I did a year ago. I see what he did for me, and I'm more amazed by what he did. The gospel means more to me now than it did a year ago. I understand my sin 
in ways I didn't understand my sin, and I understand his overwhelming and beautiful grace that he saved me even though I did not deserve it. That's the point. If you want to have a happy 2023, you need to get to know the person of Jesus. And you do that right here. The Bible is meant to point you to him because that's who it's all about. It's all about Christ. Even Proverbs in the middle of it that you might think, how does that connect to Jesus? Oh, what the good news. What is the revelation directly from God? It's when he sent his son to dwell among us. It's all about Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you, and you are a good and kind God. I thank you for all that you bless us with as a people, and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the Bible and how you use it to change me and change others. That in your kindness to us, you have revealed yourself to us. That you have made yourself knowable through the word, through the Logos, through Christ. And then you chose to make that revelation transferable by writing and inspiring men to to write in a common language that would be preserved and translated for people like us. When I think about the Bible, God, I just think about your mercy, the great act of mercy that you have had through the ages, preserving your word for us, that we can have confidence that through it we get to know you. So Lord, that's what I pray, that we would get to know the person and work of Jesus this year. I ask this in your name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.